So where to go from here? Like as we prepare to go back into the world and into a really busy time, right? A really busy time. One of the gifts for me this weekend is I haven't really thought about anything else other than being on this retreat right now, which is like pretty good because I feel like the traffic in my head is kind of slowed down. I used to have like a like nine lane super highway in my head, and I feel like I've just been on this little like two lane road. It's kind of nice. Um, Thanksgiving, Advent starting, Christmas will be here before we know it. Um, so where do we go from here? And you know, when I was preparing the other night, I was reading the Dewey Reams translation of um, the first letter of St. John. And um, the word abide like shows up over and 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 over. I think in the New American Bible, it's translated as remain. Right? Like he who remains in my love. And, um, but abiding in our Lord's love, it really means like resting in this place, having a sense of belonging to him, knowing who we are because we belong to him and being able to go into that place of like, okay, when everything else is crazy, it's not. It's okay because I'm abiding in our Lord. Right? Like we use phrases in the church. Like we use these phrases like love the sinner and hate the sin. And like sometimes we don't really even know what that means. Or we have to be in the world but not of the world. Um, but I don't really know what that means. So I remember like thinking, okay, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. So in order to be in the world, I'm going to, I don't know, watch all these like really like profane things on television and things like that. Because I have to be in the world, but not of the world. But I'm actually watching this profane television in order to escape from my life. So I'm kind of abiding in that instead of in our Lord. You know, joy is, joy is what springs forth when we know that we belong to our Lord. Even in the midst, and we can have joy in the midst of us, in the midst of suffering, because like in the midst of a suffering world around us, we know that we belong to our Lord. And so in the end of the fourth chapter of First John, it says, God is love, and whoever remains in love remains in God and God in him. And this is love brought to perfection among us that we have confidence on the day of judgment because he is so. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And so, one who fears is not yet perfect in love. We love because 
He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For whoever does not love a brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, again, John is like writing to this divided community, a community of people who don't love each other very well. and But yet they claim to be long to God. And so he just keeps pointing out the dissonance and, and the inconsistency of, okay, I say I love God, but I hate these people. And, and the solution to that, right, we usually hate people because of fear and it's perfect love that drives out fear. But then he points to this fact. We love because he first loved us and as he's writing this, I, I sort of always imagine, you know, this place in which he had that experience. You know, because everything he wrote, he wrote kind of out of experience. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, we read this. When he had said this, Jesus was deeply troubled and testified. Amen, amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another at a loss as to whom he meant. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter nodded to him to find out whom he meant. He leaned back against Jesus' chest and said to him, Master, who is it? And so when our Lord announces this sort of great division, that one of you will betray me, and then the other apostles, everybody who's with him, starts acting out of fear, and they're looking around going, well, who is it? Is it him? Is it him? Is it? And usually when we do things like that, well, it's one of us. Who is it? The reason I want to name who it is is because I want to make sure it's not me. And the only reason to make sure it's not me is I'm afraid it might be me. But while everybody is looking around, John is just resting at Jesus' side. And he's abiding in his love. And that's a place that I imagine in his experience of life from that point forward, he would go back to again and again and again and again and again is what it was like to be reclining at Jesus' side. And because he lives out of that experience of abiding, he's not shaken by fear. Even at the point of our Lord's crucifixion, 
standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. And so that sense of abiding and knowing he was the one that Jesus loved. So much so that his identity becomes the one who Jesus loved. He's not even scattered in fear at the point of the crucifixion. And then our Lord entrusts him with his mother. And then as he continues to live from that experience, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. On the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. Because he's living out of this place of abiding in our Lord's love, he, as soon as he finds out that our, Lord, that our Lord's body is gone, like he takes off. And he's not afraid of what he might find there. But he's moved by love. You know, Peter runs slower. Um, maybe he's older. Maybe he had a bad knee. Um, Hansers von Balthasar says, he, he uses these images of like the office of Peter and the love of the beloved disciple. And he talks about how love outruns office. That love outruns office. That Peter has this authority that's been given to him, but the other disciple knows the love of Christ, and the love of Christ moves us. When he gets there, he waits for Peter to enter first. But he's moved, and so he runs to the tomb. And he also has this kind of awareness of always looking for our Lord to show up. Right? When we abide in our Lord, we also always look for him to show up. This is chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Together were Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, 
and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we, will, we also will come with you. And, and so this line from Peter, it's always, um, I don't know, I always think of it as like the line of disillusionment in Peter's life. Because, like, Peter has been singled out by our Lord. He's been told, you are the rock on whom I will build my church. He started off three years earlier. He was just hanging out in his boat, and then Jesus got in his boat, started preaching to the crowds, looks down at him and says, you should come with me. And he says, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Come with me, I'll make you a fisher of men. Okay, And then he tells our Lord that he will never betray him. That he would even be willing to die for him. And our Lord says to him, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And then sure enough, he does. And I always imagine Peter is feeling kind of like, I've messed everything up. Kind of like we do. If I only I hadn't denied him, then like everything would have been different, and maybe I would have been there, and maybe I could have stopped the crucifixion from ever happening, and you know everything would be different. And he probably feels very unworthy of the mission that he's been given. And so he basically looks at the other disciples, even though Jesus has already appeared to them, and he says, I'm going fishing. Like, I'm going back to what I was doing before Jesus even came into my life. I had a friend in the seminary, and he used to teach um, Spanish at Columbia University. And every time he got frustrated in the seminary, he would say, I'm going back to Columbia. Or I would say things like, I'm going back to the army. Like, I want to go back to what my life was like before Jesus even showed up. Because it's just not working for me. I mean, it's kind of like when we have conversion in our life, and then we're like, wait, this conversion is really hard. I just want to go back to being a sinner who's ignorant. So I'm going fishing. And then the other disciples said that they're going to go with him. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When it was already dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, no. So he said to them, cast the net over the right side of the boat, and you will find something. So they cast it, and were not able to pull it in because of the number of fish. So the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Right? So the one who abides in him, the one who like, goes back to this memory of reclining at his side, the one who like, has identified completely with the love of our Lord, is the one who recognizes who it is. And he's not overwhelmed with disillusionment. He simply is always looking for where our Lord is going to show up. And when he shows up, he recognizes him.
And then Peter jumps in and swims to our Lord. And they have the famous, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Conversation. And after this conversation, Peter turns and sees the disciple following whom Jesus loved. The one who had also reclined upon his chest during the supper. And he said, Master, who is the one who will betray you? That's what this disciple said. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, what if I want him to remain until I come? What concern is it of yours? You follow me. So the word spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die, but Jesus had not told them that he would not die. Just what if I want him to remain until I come? What concern is it of yours? It is this disciple who testifies to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. There are other, also many other things that Jesus did, but if these were to be described individually, I do not think the whole world could contain the books that would be written. And so the identity of the beloved disciple is this identity of abiding in our Lord, And simply living from this place of being loved by him. And there's lots of things to contemplate in that. Because he's not the one that was given great authority over the church or anything. But he is the one who became foundational in holding everybody together. in holding together unity at a time when the rest of the apostles were scattered. And so our own vocation as Christians has as its foundation this identity of being beloved. of being beloved. You know, all of us hold the beloved disciple as a model. Because first and foremost, we're called to be children of God. And within our own vocations to love, John Paul II says, man cannot live without love. He is a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. And that participation intimately in it begins with the experience of being loved by him.
of realizing everything that our Lord has done for us. And allowing that to take deep root in our hearts. So that as we go out into a world that's filled with chaos and division and confusion and detraction and calumny and rumors, we're always okay because we know who we are in Christ. And sometimes we get thrown off by the categories that we use. You know, for instance, this idea that like Peter symbolizes office and the beloved disciple symbolizes, you know, religious life or, you know, the life of love. Those of us who have like office vocations We'll say things like, well, we're not religious, so, like, you know, that's for religious. When I was at the Casa Santa Maria, there were guys who wanted to, like, can celebrate Mass together and then go to dinner. And other guys would be like, what do you think we are, religious? <laughs> like, I'm a diocesan priest. That means I'm supposed to, like, isolate and be alone in my room and not really care about people unless I have to because it's my job. Yuck. Right? But lay people do the same things, right? Like, I'm a Martha, not a Mary. So, as if, like, Martha didn't know the love of our Lord and didn't, like, know how to abide in him, and, you know, like she's a saint, which means she did know how to do that. But we use these rigid categories. I'm not really designed to be loved by God. I'm just designed to serve him. You know, but that's not really how God created us. Foundationally, like we have to know we're loved in order to love. We have to be a daughter. We have to be a son before we can be a husband or a wife, before we can be a mother or a father. If we want to be better fathers and mothers, we have to be better sons and daughters. Because we learn from our Lord what it means to love others. St. John learned from our Lord what it meant to love the community of the church. Because it is Jesus who always was abiding in the Father. All St. John was doing was imitating Christ, and he was abiding in Christ as Christ abided in the Father. And that's really our goal as we go forward, is, is to continue to work on abiding in him. Right? Abiding in him. Which simply just means that we know that we belong to him. And living every day as if we belong to him. Like how different would your life be if you could live every day knowing that you belong to him? If I knew I belonged to him, I wouldn't get so frustrated about, you know, the people that I work with. 
I wouldn't have fear about seeing family members this weekend who have a lot of division among them. If I lived every day like I abided in him, I would be bold about reaching out to people that I haven't been in contact with in a long time. Because perfect love casts out fear, and I won't be afraid of being rejected by others if I know that I belong to our Lord. And then we actually have freedom to share the gospel with others, to share the life of our Lord with others, to share our joy with others. The primary reason people don't evangelize is because they have fear that they'll be rejected if they try to evangelize. It's also one of the primary reasons that people don't seek reconciliation in their relationships because they have fear of being rejected if they try to seek reconciliation. And that's painful, right? It's painful. Have you ever apologized to somebody and you're super nervous about it and you like come clean and they just say, eh, I don't really think you have anything to apologize for. So this happened to me recently. I saw a friend that I knew a long time ago, and I had hurt this person, and I was like, okay, so I'm going to try to make amends, and I apologized, and this person was just like, well, I don't think you have anything to apologize for. So they never really accepted my apology, and then I just felt like kind of vulnerable and like it didn't go anywhere, but it shouldn't matter as much because if I abide it in our Lord, then I could just do that and let it rest where it rests. And so how do we like practically remain in his love? How do we practically remain in his love? Because our lives are really busy and it's hard to you know, schedule, okay, I'm going to make a holy hour every day in the morning and in the evening before I go to bed, and I'm going to do the office of, you know, the liturgy of the hours every day. And some of you are looking at me like, what? You're crazy, right? Of course I'm crazy, because it's not your vocation, <laughs> right? Like, that's not your vocation. I think it's St. Charles Borromeo who says things like, you don't expect like a married person to live like a monk and you don't expect a monk to take care of domestic things like a married person. Like we have different vocations. But being intentional about, you know, the prayers that we do pray within reason. You know, like, do we pray our prayers as if we're really talking to a person that we abide in? Or do we, like, pray our prayers as part of our daily checklist? It's not like you're a horrible person if you pray it like a daily checklist. But it could be richer if you pray it, like, as if you're really talking to a person. Like to pray the morning offering 
is simply to say to our Lord, I offer you all of my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day. And if we, and to say that like we mean it, and then to think about the fact that we said it, which just means everything I do today, I offer to our Lord. And then when something unexpected comes up, you know, like you're a teacher and one of your students comes in crying in the morning and you find out something's going on at home or whatever. Oh, wait, this is what I was talking about this morning when I said I offer to our Lord everything that I do today. And so this is what our Lord is sending me. And that work becomes holy. When we do our exam at the end of the day, you know, when I was growing up, my pastor, he taught us all to pray the act of contrition every night before we go to bed. Really simple. But to also just like take some time and to pray that like we mean it and to think about what we did today. So Jesus, how did today go? You know, I did pretty good on my relationships. I did pretty good, you know, at work. I was a little bit distracted and I prayed, played solitaire on my computer for about 20 minutes. Uh, so I'll work on that. Um, you know, and we just kind of go through our day with him and ask him for his help in the future. So to pray our prayers like we mean them, like we're talking to a person, it starts to shift things. And then practicing the presence of God, which just, you know, as I've said before, over and over and over again, whatever we do, we do with our Lord. No, whatever we do, we do with our Lord. And so we're intentional about, you know, doing our work with our Lord. Jesus, you're invited to do this work with me right now. Or we're intentional about recreation with our Lord. Jesus, you're invited to read this novel with me right now. Whatever we do, we do with our Lord. Because in that space, then, we become more aware of abiding in him. And it kind of can cast out resentments when we do that. Father Michael Gately tells this story about there was, there was someone who was in religious life and they were discerning religious life. And they got really sort of, um, it was a pretty strict religious community. And uh, they had a really strict schedule. And they were told, you know, this is when you're going to eat. This is when you're going to sleep. This is what you're going to wear. You know, it's one of those places where they like ring the bell and you go to the chapel and you don't talk and you know things like super strict, rigid. And he he was like, "This isn't for me. I, I need to leave religious life." And so he goes to the superior and he says, I, "I need to leave. I can't live like this." Well, why not? Well, it's too constraining, and I can't keep up with this schedule, and I just can't do it. And I just think it's a bunch of hokey. And I don't understand why we do what we do. And so the superior said to him, okay, so for the next two days, you can do whatever you want. Just do everything with Jesus. So you can do whatever you want. 
The only stipulation is that you have to be intentional about doing it with Jesus. And so for the next two days, he was like sleeping in. He would like go pour himself a glass of whiskey and take it to the chapel with him. He was outside like running around, you know, like climbing up on hay bales and yelling and doing all these things. And after that two days was over, he went back to the superior and decided to stay in religious life. Because in that process, uh, our Lord was just speaking to his heart the whole time. And he came to this place of abiding with him. Right? It helped him to break out of like the schedule of things which he was approaching from this place of rigidity to a place of surrender of his own heart and a sense of abiding with him. So I'm not giving you permission to go home and take a six-pack to your holy hour. But I am encouraging you to, whatever you do, you do with our Lord. And just focus on that, like, sense of abiding with him. You know, it brings peace to our hearts, and we become more peaceful about everything. Because we do live in a divided world. You know, St. John talks about, like, the many antichrists who have gone out, and they're spreading false gospels, and they're doing all these things. Like, we live in a similar world. Where there are people who are spreading false gospels and false ideologies in the name of the gospel in some cases... And the only way to keep our sanity is to abide in Christ and to start from that place of love. And we know that we are loved with him as we keep his commandments. And so those are a few like ideas to go home with. You know, and I'd also encourage you to just, you know, spend some time before Mass just reflecting on what our Lord has done for you this weekend. Like, what area of your life has he touched? How has he revealed himself to you in a new way? Whether it was something from the conferences or just something that came up in your own prayer, an experience that you had in adoration. Like, what has the Lord done in your heart this weekend? And you spend some time there. And come up with whatever resolutions that you want to take forward with you. Like, how do you want to live differently as you go back into the world? What commitments do you make to yourself or to Jesus? How has your identity been strengthened as you've been here and reflected this weekend?
know, and part of the experience of being on retreat is always to renew our relationship with our Lord. And so during Mass, in place of the creed, um, and retreats, I always do the renewal of our baptismal promises because, like, that is this moment of, okay, I'm starting over again with our Lord. And, um, and so I'd also invite you to be intentional about that prayer. Right? And being intentional about that prayer means, like, when asked the question, do you reject Satan, to kind of make an inventory of, okay, these are all the sin in my life that I need to, like, reject. Could be, like, impurity, pride, spiritual pride, uh, gluttony, um, my relationships with these people, the resentments I'm holding, whatever they are. So what are the sins in my life that I'm renouncing, that I'm rejecting, that I'm saying, no more? Do you reject all of his works? That's where we sort of separate ourselves from like all the sins that have been committed against us that we hold resentments about. So all the sins committed against us, like uh, my friend who like, was spreading rumors about me, and I'm holding resentment about that, somebody who's not listening to me, my parents who hurt me. Maybe it's a particular priest who hurt me. Just all the sins committed against me that I don't want to have control or power over me anymore. And all his empty promises or all his empty show, and that's kind of a rejection of all the lies that we kind of hold. Most popular lies are things like, I'm unlovable. If, uh, if our Lord really knew everything about me or if people knew everything about me, they'd reject me. I have to do and perform in order to be loved. Just whatever lies that we hold. So that when we renew our baptismal promises and we say, I reject Satan, we have content for that. We know what we're talking about. In all his works, I know what I'm talking about. In all his empty show, I know what I'm talking about. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I place my trust in them so that I can abide in them, so that I can remain with them. Because they're the source of peace in my life. And it's just a way of firming up those resolutions that we make on retreat. And so I'll leave you with you know, the time that we have now before Mass in order to just kind of reflect on the weekend and um, make whatever resolutions that you want to make. And also to maybe reflect on that, that renewal of baptismal promises and, you know, what are the things we're saying no to and saying yes to as we leave this place?